This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here as ever with Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Hello. We are trying to spread some cheer during what are some fairly miserable times. So we have put together a list of our favourite football things and we're going to be talking you through them over the next however many days. We're going to try and release one mini podcast a day. Uh, This is the first one. This one probably won't be that cheery because the news has broken today that the Euro 2020 tournament has been suspended uh, because of the coronavirus and will now be held in 2021. But after today's misery, we will be trying to talk about more positive stuff. To start off, Ruth, just about the the postponement of the tournament, on a, on a purely human level, I, I don't think there's any argument that it's the right decision. Absolutely. And I th- I'm actually quite relieved that it was such a definite decision made today rather than just postpone and we're working on what the options are or we're considering doing it behind closed doors or what have you I think the fact that they've been quite definitive about what's happening the proposal for next for the summer of 2021 I actually think in fairness to UEFA I think it's about as good a scenario as they could have come up with right now I agree. I think by not kind of putty-footing around the, the the issue, essentially, they've made a clear and, and, and solid decision. And I think, in, like I say, on a human level, I don't think you can argue that it's the right thing, especially everything that's going on all over the place at the moment with, with this coronavirus thing. Um, the There were a few things that I thought I, I wanted to kind of bring up with you. Obviously, they've sent out emails today uh, to ticket holders and the FAW sent one out as well. I'm sure plenty of FAs have done the same, that they obviously will kind of refund every person who's bought a ticket and you can get your full face value for that ticket back, um, which is obviously you know, great if you can't go in, in 12 months' time or 18 months' time. The only thing that obviously goes along with that is this. Assume is I'm assuming that they're still doing the tournament kind of across Europe. So there was no mention of people getting kind of or any sort of mention of um, travel costs or anything like that reimbursed or, you know, they've come up with agreements with airlines. Or I mean, I don't know what the answer is. And, and I guess maybe it's a bit much to be asking for it all to be done in one sitting. But I will say I was disappointed that there was no mention of the situation, uh, the reality of the situation anyway for fans. Yeah, I... That I don't particularly expect UEFA to address, disappointingly, but I don't think they will address that. I think they will say it's for fans to negotiate with the airlines and with um, with the hotels or Airbnbs or what have you directly. Um, I know that airlines are, in some respects, being quite flexible at the minute and allowing people to push off dates that they've booked. So I think it's certainly worth opening discussions with airlines. But I think, unfortunately, unless this is at a point where a particular country is shut down for, you know, people from outside to travel, um, and and that's a kind of government order, I don't think 
there is compensation packages beyond what people may have through personal insurance. Well, that's the thing. I looked at it from, I looked at getting insurance uh, when all of this kind of worsened and worsened about a week or so ago. And there was nowhere I could find that would give me insurance that included basically me having to cancel the trip, which is obviously the only way it would have been because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So that I, basically I've, I've had to take a hit and I, I'm, I, I'm by no means the worst. I, you know, I, I think my flight, I'm, I'm down about $700. But my friend, Lloyd, who's travelling over from Australia, he's booked all his time off work. I mean, he's about three grand down and I'm, and I'm sure there are plenty of examples of people who are in, the, in a similar position. So um, again, I, I guess it was maybe a bit, a bit much for them to be talking about it today. But I would have hoped that there would have been some sort of comment on, you know, or at least a thought uh, toward that situation aimed at fans, and, and there wasn't. I will say that whilst on a on a personal level, it's obviously the right decision, I, I did feel that that was a little bit of a shame. To move on and talk about the, the football side of things, somewhere in Stoke, I'm sure Joe Allen is absolutely delighted with this turn of events. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that... Uh, uh, well, hopefully that's going to give him the time he needs. Um, that will undoubtedly be a plus for us. Um, it, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? I mean, I cannot... Well, we were saying this this time last year, that we couldn't see Gareth Bale still being at Madrid this season, and yet he is. Um, but I, I think a move to China or elsewhere is is likely in this in this coming summer, and hence he's a year older you know, playing a year less and certainly at a lesser level. Um, hopefully Ramsey is a bit more established with Juve, but who knows what's going to happen there. He's sort of in and out of their plans. I can see plus being, obviously, hopefully David Brooks is back playing. Ethan Ampadu perhaps will be with a club where he's getting a little bit more game time. You know, perhaps we've been able to solidify the formation with the you know four two three one kind of format a little bit more more than just the last four games or so, um, some of the younger players will have that little bit more experience. So I think it's a swings and roundabouts. I think the unfortunate thing is that our better, more experienced players are are getting rusty. Frankly, you know, if Wayne Hennessy goes all the way through to next summer barely playing, then is he our first choice? goalie at that point um so i can i can see pluses and minuses i think where it may end up being the biggest plus for us is a bit more experience a bit kind of more mileage under the belt for the younger players particularly looking towards the qualifiers for qatar it's an interesting one really because i i think most of what you said there i i agree with i think the weird thing for me is we're also basing that on a lot of assumptions. Like, it would be great because Ethan Ampadu can go somewhere else. Well, yeah, but what if he doesn't? And yeah, yeah it would be great. Gareth Bale can get a move and, you know, we won't be stuck in Real Madrid and we'll be playing all the time. But what if he doesn't? Yeah. You know, and we're talking about a lot of our young core having one more year and stuff. What if, you know, we, we talked about Joe Rodden having a deal to Leicester. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. What if Joe Rodden does go to Leicester and, and doesn't play? And I, I I appreciate I'm being overly negative, as is my uh, modus operandi. But I I do think that I think it's it's easy to to say all these kind of 
positive things because it's the things that people want to hear. I, I do think there's. I do think we need to kind of have our eyes open and look at both sides of it as well. Like James Chester, I think he's only thirty or thirty-one, but he's struggling to kind of regain the form that he showed before his bad knee injury. It, it, is the year good for him, or was it now his last chance? You'd have to wonder about Neil Taylor, for example, who had a, seemed to have a decent start to the year and got back into the setup, and then all of a sudden. You know his forms dropped off a cliff. This is probably him him done getting the getting to the Euros. Nico Williams, great. He's going to have one more year to develop. But is he going to develop at Liverpool? Is he going to be on the bench? Is he going to be loaned to a club and doesn't play like Ethan Ampadu? Like, I think I personally, from a footballing perspective, would be just would have been happy to go into it in this circumstance because at least we roughly know where we are. I think we finally turned a corner and there was some sort of momentum. We're, we're now giving ourselves a year to lose that momentum. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to be overly negative, just a realistic, I've had a chat on Twitter today with Ross Tyson and Edward Greening and we were kind of having the back and forth in this and I think it's one of those situations there's as many positives as there are negatives, relatively speaking. Um, Jay Owen was my favourite comment of the day, which is the script is written for Joe Allen to score in the final. Um, so let's hope that's true. Just I, I think you're I think you're right, Dave. In this, you know, as many pluses as, as negatives, but I think in any summer, you would see that pattern. You would see players that are gaining form, players that are losing form, players that are coming back for injury, players that are carrying an injury. Um, I think those kind of swings and roundabouts of a season would apply regardless of what of what summer we were going into. So I think we're probably going to have as many kind of upward ticks next summer as we would have gained this summer and as, ma- as many sort of dips into troughs. Um, I, I think right now the biggest plus is the fact that ha- hopefully Joe will be back. No, I agree. And I, you, you can't really argue beyond that um, in, in, as he is one of our biggest players. Or arguably, I was listening to the Edgefoff pod and they made a very good point. You could argue that he's possibly our most important player if... if Ramsey gets injured or Bale gets injured I know they're maybe not as good we have players who can fit into that role quite easily whereas if Alan gets injured I don't think there's anyone close to his level of, or ability so you could argue he's possibly our, our most important player and the most irreplaceable player even perhaps just because of the dilemma it gives us in midfield but um, anyway um, I do want to kind of just reference one more thing I spoke, well, I say I spoke, um, I interacted with Jess Fishlock on Twitter today. I was mentioning the impact it would have on the Women's World Cup, on the Women's Euros, sorry. Um, to one extent, obviously, it's, it's great because Jess Fishlock herself will be back. Um, the April qualifiers have been postponed. I think they're looking to do them in June. So from that perspective, that's kind of relatively good news. By the same token, I do think it's worth mentioning that then you'd have these kind of two tournaments back to back. And like she said, she thought it'd be epic. Um, you know, it would mean no one would really know what to do in pre-season. Um, and I guess that the logistics wouldn't be too bad in that the first the, the men's Euros would be held all over Europe and the, and the women's is just in England. So that I guess logistically there probably wouldn't be too many crossovers, although the final is obviously going to be at Wembley. Equally... 
it would make for a great summer. However, I was interacting with Penny, who runs Walgoch Menuad. I hope I've said that right. Um, who is like a, an information page on Twitter for uh, the Wales women's team. She has done uh, a lot of research, and I want to make sure that I credit her properly because um, a lot of her research has been self-funded. She's from uh, Penny Miles from Bath University, and she's also done some interviews on on all of this, um, which I think comes out on that on that Twitter page. Um, she's made a few very very valid points, which I thought were which I hadn't really thought about to be honest. For a size of the FAW, let's say for argument's sake that Wales get to the Euros for the for the women. We have a small FA with a, with a limited uh, number of people kind of covering everything. So, for example, there's a lot of people in terms of, for example, the media content, logistical organisations, that sort of thing, where the same people do both roles. So that obviously would be uh, tricky in the in the summer with with that kind of limited pool of people. And I don't know whether Wales could afford to to buy to buy to pay sorry more people to to come in and, and and do those jobs um and what would probably happen and i can see that the likelihood is that the women's team is the would be the one that would suffer um not just in coverage but you know from the media and stuff but also logistics and and, and that sort of stuff the fans is another one from a Welsh perspective, again, from a, maybe a smaller smaller nation's perspective. But whilst the women's game does have its own fans, it would obviously benefit from attracting fans of the men's game with nowhere else to go. So on in the summer of 2020, uh, the men's fans would have gone and watched and whatever else and then would need a filler, if you like, to all intents and purposes mm-hmm. for, the, for the 2021. And that, that's gone now. Um, so, you know... Is that going to have effect on the women's game? Whether people would still go, they probably would still go because for Wales, for example, it's in it's in England. But there is definitely going to be a knock on for other people, and I would kind of question how how many people would kind of travel to go both. So, for example, like Penny says, she follows both teams, but even though the women's is in England, if you've spent all that money going to Baku and Rome and wherever else, it, it, you know you can't really afford to then go to the women's games as well. Um, she also says that there's been some clashes with certain things in the past where Jane Ludlow has done uh, interviews and, and whatever else and press conferences. And sometimes there's coverage on Radio Wales and when there's nothing else going on, so to speak, in the men's game, they're always kind of busy. If there's any sort of clash with anything to do with the men's game, or whether it's club or, or European football, again, there's that their kind of visibility completely diminishes, um, which which are all very very true as well. And you know, for example, as she also mentions the ITV, I'm rambling a bit now. Sorry, the the ITV and Welsh uh, Welsh ITV, Welsh BBC uh, and S4C, they again all have limited staff, and they'd likely be covering the men's game. So there are kind of lots of um, things that I hadn't really thought of there. So thank you again, Penny, for that. And that page is Walgoch Menewad. I think I hope I've said that right. So yeah, please do have a you know have a follow of that. I can see, I mean, I think I'm with Penny there, and I can see pluses and minuses. I think the fact that we would go basically two solid months with international football, um, I do think the momentum gained, if it's a particularly if it's a good men's tournament, that the women people have you know have enjoyed that and they're looking for more football during July. I can see. I can see advantages in that. Um, the overlap of dates isn't too bad. As as things stand, if the 
men's games follow the same pattern as is planned for this summer. There'll be semi-finals on the 7th and 8th and a final on the 11th of July. And the women's tournament is due to start on the 7th. So in yeah. theory, there are, there are games that clash on the 7th and 8th. But I think they might, you know, perhaps move move one or other slightly because the clashes are marginal. And the opening game in the women's tournament is up in Old Trafford, whereas obviously all the semi-final and final game is down at Wembley. Um, so there's, from a kind of just football logistics point of view, I think it can be pieced together. I do agree with the point about... Um, the the fans i do th- i do think it's a big ask to have both tournaments running one after the other but i think in some respects we might be at a point where needs must we've we've it clearly can't the men's tournament clearly can't happen when it's meant to happen so i think this is about the best of a bad situation um I appreciate what she's saying about the FAW because one of the things that I was thinking about was just actual FAW resources, not necessarily staffing resources, more money resources of affording to have, you know, men's games that are going to be in at least two different locations and hopefully more. Um, The advantage for the women's team, I suppose, if they qualify and, and, to be honest, this is let, let, let's have this problem to solve. You know, let's get to this situation. Yeah. But at least they can have a base in Wales and stay put and be able to use our our training facilities, say in Newport or or Wrexham. And at least that's not an expense that the no, FAW have got on top of things. Um, so I I would be more concerned perhaps about the cash flow part of it as much as the staffing part of it. No, that makes sense. And I'm sure that because of the extenuating circumstances, UEFA will be aware of this. And I'm, you'd imagine that these sort of issues were probably raised today. So I, I do think there's, you know, you'd like to think anyway that there's kind of plans in, in place to solve that. Um, anyway, I, I just thought that was an interesting one that I'd kind of I'd throw in there. Um, for what it's worth, I think uh, me and my pals are thinking of just if everything is kind of cleared up anyway, just go in for a weekend on the beers in, in Rome anyway. See if we can mm-hmm. find us, find ourselves an Italian five-a-side team. We'll fancy a game at uh, El Gol or whatever they, the Coliseum and, uh, and, see if we can, uh, and see if we can represent Wales that way. I'm, well, I'm sure no one would want me and my mates to represent Wales playing football, but relatively speaking, of course. Um, so I, 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 do, I, I do hope that everyone manages to kind of make a good fist of everything and... Uh, can still in, enjoy the outlay of uh, of what they've spent so far. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I think another plus of pushing it back a year. It's expenses people can't keep doing, ironically, but at least at least there is that gap of twelve months, and people have got an opportunity to start putting a little bit of money aside and you know build towards it gradually. And maybe they won't be going to Baku and Rome next summer, but perhaps you know they can just do one or the other or something yeah i guess it does give everyone a bit more time to kind of make plans we, we do know where we're going now it wasn't like a mild a uh, mad panic like it was when the, the draw was made so i guess there's um some upsides to it i suppose uh, and I, I do think 
Joy, my wife, made this point that there's going to be a lot of countries, Italy being one of them, who are going to really need the kind of tourism boost from this after everything that's going on at the minute. So I suppose there is that kind of a wider, bigger picture to look at as well there. Um, So we have talked about the coronavirus and the Euros, so now we're going to try and continue our fun stuff uh, conversation. I say continue, start off fun stuff conversation. Um, we are going to try and do these one a day, hopefully, if I can remember to kind of churn everything else. I'm not doing much else, let's be honest. And, um, and we'll see if we can get a load of these out. So we are going to start by talking about our favourite football stadiums i think we're going to start talking about we've just already had a mini argument off 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 air about whether we're just going to talk about football stadiums so i think this is going to go somewhere else um ruth you go for me i think it will always be the race course um as we covered in as we covered in the first of our specials uh, that's one of my most memorable memorable games in fact several of my most memorable games have come from there and I, it was the first, like, sort of what you'd think of as proper football stadia I went to. Been to much smaller grounds that, you know, maybe had a stand on one side or that sort of thing. But first, first sort of fully enclosed football stadia I went to. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, and probably, I mean, it is, in fairness, still so old school uh, that, you know, half time, you're trying to find the ladies disappeared down the steps um, off the terrace and, and underneath and looking for the ladies and walking down the sort of this corridor effectively under, underneath the stadium. And this, all the lads were lined up left and right of me. And I'm just like, what's going on here? <laughs> and I realised that everybody's just standing there having a pee. And it's like, <laughs> well, this ain't going to work for me, boys. So <laughs> let's find the bathroom. Um, and it's just like, and it was just, it was horrible, but wonderful all at the same time. Uh, I, ju- I just loved it. And I loved everything about being part of the crowd and the atmosphere and, and the, you know, the real nature of it. you got to remember back then, we, we barely had any live television, only live football on television. It was, it was all, you know, cobbled together, often badly edited highlights so even to see a full actual ninety minutes of football was, yeah. you know, yeah. was quite rare for a lass from from the from North Wales. So um, it, it it'll just always stay with me as my favourite football ground. I love the history, the you know, the fact that it's the oldest international stadium. We should be really proud of that. It's uh, so yeah, that's that's top of my list. No, that's uh, that's understandable. I think I've kind of gone back and forth with a few different things. I, again, I'm trying to kind of avoid being predict being predictable, um, but like the real nature of things is is the thing that I love most about football. And I think you kind of the way football is these days, you kind of forget that a little bit. Like my memories of of those sorts of things have have kind of got lost a bit. And I, like when we were when I was away on on my school trip to Germany, we went to watch Bochum play, and. It was of of the three grounds we went to. It was probably my favourite in that it was so kind of old, kind of a bit crumbly, a bit falling down. Everywhere stank a cigarette smoke. Um, you could have a beer in your seat. Um, like the, the the people next to me had um, 
had a couple in front of them who kind of kept kissing all the way through the game. And the, the, the group of men next to me just insisted every time the couple in front of them kissed instead of watching the match, they'd take their bobble hats off and hit them with the hats or, you know, like slap them over the back of the head with a glove. Or one point someone poured like a little drip of beer down his mate's back ahead of him. And, like, and I missed that sort of thing. And I know you couldn't, you know, you couldn't drink his stadiums before anyway, but like that sort of thing. I, I just feel like it's football has come a little bit sterile. So that kind of old fashioned, if you like, nature. And that, that thing that really made me start thinking about a few different stadiums like I went to the old main road um, to watch Man City play with my uncle um, I loved going to Ninian Park I, I had such a great time watching Lee Trundle play for Swansea at the Vetch um, once like those sort of stadiums that are kind of half falling apart but everyone's kind of bundled in together and like it is I don't know it's the thing that makes you love football those kind of magic moments you know that, that kind of atmosphere and, and that feeling with, with all of that said I honestly don't think that I would go anywhere to watch football in the UK other than St. James's Park. Like, I think for anywhere, you know, I say club rivalries aside, like, you know, I'm being unbiased, but it is such a brilliant stadium. It's right, kind of overlooks the city. It's it's a magnificent looking stadium, I think. Great atmosphere when you get in there. And I love the variety from the top of the of the Milburn stand. You can basically see over the whole city. It's uh, It really is a great place to go and watch football. Um, have you been to any kind of of the of the big names, you know, like your new camps or anything like that? No, no. I think I think Griffin Park might be the highest up the list. Do you know what people often get Griffin Park and the new camp confused? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, the only kind of big, big, big stadium I've been to is Ellen Road, oh, which really? is I'm not uh, not unlike St James. Your description of St James's Park, actually. And and a, a bit old school still somehow. And a knowledgeable crowd as well, you know. Yeah, I think you can tell that in some places. Like I, I, I have been to the new camp, and I was lucky to see the the Messi Iniesta Xavi combination, and it was. I felt that. I mean, I can't speak Spanish, but it was great to kind of see the way that people were chattering around each other, and obviously knew. You could tell that they were knowledgeable. You could tell it wasn't just tourists and stuff there. Is often as often is labelled. Um, the Fortuna Dusseldorf Stadium, actually, we'd just been there. That was incredible. It was a fairly new build. Um, it was an amazing, amazing stadium. I've, I've been to the stadium in Berlin, the Olympic Stadium. I didn't see a game there, but uh, again, like such an impressive, intimidating place. That might have been one of the few places we've both been. Oh, really? Actually, yeah. That was That's on my list just in terms of wow factor. I, I saw it as an empty stadium. Yeah, me too. And and it, it's difficult. It's obviously difficult to get away from its history, but just architecturally and stylistically, it's got an incredible presence as a place. Yeah, it really has. It kind of like intimidating. Really, is the word. Like yeah. you can you can see it from from miles away. Like and it's and it the, the, like oh, I don't know. It, it was one of those really impressive places. Um, I've also been to that old stadium in Munich where that stadium where England beat Germany 5-1, I forget what it's called, but that was kind of a, like so like German in that it was kind of completely open, but like one stand had this really weird stylistic like roof thing on it. It was it was a I thought it was fascinating. It was uh it was a great it was a great looking stadium but in a, in a totally different way. Um you mentioned earlier obviously the are we just talking about football stadia, which mm-hmm. I assume means you have something else that you would like to bring to the table in this area? Well, no, I, more because I think um, 
often if you are less familiar with a sport the nature of the stadium can make a huge difference and the nature of the crowd can make a huge difference i think um with going to watch football when you you know when you're you're normally going because you're supporting one or other team and you know you come with a kind of an agenda yeah sometimes you can you can miss what's actually makes the stadium the stadium whereas if you're going somewhere where you know less about the sport you can actually sort of ironically interact with the space more um because you're not perhaps so engrossed in what's in what's happening and so from that point of view i incredibly enjoyed going to wrigley field in in chicago to to see a baseball game i wasn't particularly interested in and could just enjoy the space and the and the dynamic that came with it and it it's an extraordinary stadium and i um you know you, you and i've We've, we've been fortunate and spent a lot of time at, at Fenway Park. And, you know, I'm sure you might want to speak to that a bit more. But I, en- I enjoyed Wrigley more because it didn't feel as contrived to me as Fenway does. Fenway feels like it's almost trying to be an old stadium, if that makes sense. Whereas Wrigley just was and the the the, the sort of setup was better the energy was better the sight lines were better it was just from the start a better designed stadium even what 80 years ago or something yeah i know what i mean now you've slagged off fenway park i am gonna uh, i am gonna stand <laughs> up for it a bit um i think i remember when i first moved here that we obviously went to to watch a game it was one of the first things that was kind of organized for us to do and i just remember like all the cliches of american sport were so were brilliantly true and people walking around selling beer and popcorn and you know shouting and passing your hot dog down the line and like and all the cliches so i kind of enjoy i enjoyed the the theater of it if you like more than the game because i you know i like baseball but still to this day don't fully understand the rules um and I remember like just looking around like wow like this is such a place and the more times I go back and the different areas of the stadium we've been to and sat in it is just a magnificent place and I love that you can see the city skyline if you're if you're sat kind of at the back of one stand um it's just a magnificent place and the atmosphere is amazing and it is I would say in my top three stadiums I've ever been to um it is just such a such a brilliant place um but yes that is our do you know what we said we wanted to do 10 minutes ruth and we've reminisced yep. and we've waffled and we are on 10 minutes and 20 seconds well there we are Look at time that. to wrap up absolutely perfect well there you go there is podcast uh mini podcast one of our favorite things on stadiums done thank you for listening we should be asking people for, for like their sort of responses as well shouldn't we in their thoughts oh that's a great shout about this yeah Okay, so on on the fly, we're very much making up as we go along, <laughs> as is the way if you've listened to us before. Um, if you want to tell us about your favourite stadiums and why, please do get in touch. That sounded like very much like a shit radio thing that I just did there. I don't know why I did that. I think my voice even changed. I'm, I'm now I'm rambling. I'll stop. So, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>